write a short story every week. It's not possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. Ray Bradbury. typewriter a podcast about writing and the writing life i'm paul and i hope you've all had a great week it's time again for our occasionally infrequent recurring episode short story saturday and today's short story is as this is my podcast one of mine that started life as a short story and made its way ultimately into one of my books And that's something I want to encourage you to do as far as when you're writing short stories. And that's look at how they can be woven together to form a novel, to form a novel as short stories or short stories as novel, depending on which way you want to look at it. Because short stories can be far more than just something that you can't sell to magazines that don't exist anymore. They're starting points as well as ending points. And everybody, as Bradbury said, should be writing one every week because it's impossible to write 52 bad ones in a row. Today's short story is called Now Hiring, and I hope you enjoy it. Now Hiring, A Story of the Last Word, by Paul Combs. After a thorough review, it's clear that Camden and Julia were right. The staffing model that Franklin loved so much was part of what drove the bookstore to the brink of insolvency. 27 come-when-you-feel-like-it part-time employees was simply no way to run a business, no matter how beautiful or gifted in the bedroom arts they might be. In the end, Sal and Camden, with input from Julia, decide to keep the four most capable of the sirens. They all have names, of course, but Sal designates them Siren 1, Siren 2, Siren 3, and Siren 4. Not original, but consistent with his late uncle's love of Greek mythology. Siren 1, it turns out, has a very unusual knowledge base. As they learned one morning, when a customer came in, and asked if they had any baseball trivia books. What exactly do you need to know, Sal asked. Who hit the most home runs in 1968, the customer replied. Which league, American or National, Siren 1 responded, not looking up from the nail she was buffing. National, he said. Willie McCovey, San Francisco Giants, she replied without hesitation. The customer nodded quickly, thanked them, then dashed out of the store. Sal stared at her, amazed. How'd you know that, he asked. I was an only child, she answered, and my dad was a baseball fanatic. Granddad, too. It was inevitable. I see, Sal answered. And just for my own knowledge, in case it comes up during a game of Trivial Pursuit or something, the American League home run champ for 68 was Frank Howard, Washington Senators, she said immediately. Good to know. 
Keeping the four sirens still left the shop with only four full-time employees plus Ramon, who seemed to be there as much as he was in school, and they needed at least one more. So on a rainy Monday morning, a simple sign, elegantly drawn in colored chalk on a small square framed blackboard, was hung in the front window. Now hiring. Ads were placed and resumes received. New territory for both Sal and Camden. And finally, a day was set aside for the interviews. The morning there to take place, Sal and Camden are seated in the small break room. Sal looking over a resume and Camden chatting amiably with a professionally dressed female applicant. Sal glances up at the wall clock, which reads 9.15 a.m. I'm very good at spreadsheets, the woman says. Formulas, pivot tables, you name it. I can handle any spreadsheet you might need. Well, we're a bookstore, Camden replies. We don't have much need for spreadsheets here. Everyone needs spreadsheets, dear. Sal looks from the woman to Camden and forces a smile. He turns the woman's resume over, face down, on the table. A few minutes later, Sal is looking at another application. He asks a question of the next job seeker, a woman in her early 20s. Any hobbies? Hmm, would stripping count as a hobby? I just started this week and haven't gotten my first check yet. Sal looks at Camden and his eyes brighten. She slaps him in the back of the head, and he places this application face down as well. The next applicant is a casually dressed man in his mid-thirties. Camden decides to take a different approach. Let's start with something simple, she says. Who wrote Great Expectations? The man ponders this for far too long before answering. I can't remember the lady's name, he finally says, but I know she also wrote What to Expect When You're Expecting. I think Great Expectations was a sequel. Sal is unable to contain himself and laughs out loud. Camden gives him a sharp look and he regains his composure, then adds another resume to the note pile. He has higher hopes for the next guy, a small man in his 20s, who at least looks like someone who has read a book. What do Saramago, Zafan, Garcia Marquez, and Carlos Fuentes have in common? I'm pretty sure that's the infield for the Boston Red Sox. I know Fuentes plays shortstop, although Zafan may have been traded to Cleveland for a relief pitcher. Camden snorts and crosses the young man's name off a list. This is going to be much harder than either of them expected. The next applicant is in his late teens, barely out of high school. What would you say is the most poorly written bestseller of all time, Camden asks him. The Bible, hands down. With all those begats and these and thous, I don't see how anyone can read the thing. It's like it was written in the 1600s or something. You'd think Jesus could write better than that. Camden drops her face into her hands. The clock on the wall shows noon. Julia ushers in the next applicant, a young woman about her age. Sal takes the chance that she remembers something from her college English classes. Name three of the lost generation writers, he says. If they're lost, then how am I supposed to name them, she asks without a hint of irony. Look, it's not like this job is rocket science. Can I just blow you instead of answering these stupid questions? I've gotten lots of jobs that way. Sal looks hopefully at Camden, his eyebrows raised. She shakes her head no, but at least she doesn't slap him this time. They take a short break for lunch. Hopeful things will get better in the afternoon. 
Maybe the really good candidates sleep late or have morning classes or something. Anything. The first interviewee of the afternoon is an older woman wearing a little house on the prairie dress and a large cross on a chain. Who wrote of human bondage and the razor's edge, Camden asks her. Probably the same pervert who wrote those Fifty Shades of Grey books. LeBron James, the woman answers. I'm not into bondage or cutting or any of that sick nonsense. And I don't think a reputable bookseller should carry those books. Pornography should not be out in the open. It should be in places where children can't get to it. Like the internet. Actually, Sal says, LeBron James is a professional basketball player. I'm not surprised, the woman says. They're all degenerates. Sal bangs his head on the desk repeatedly until Julia comes in and shows the lady out. The next applicant is a huge bearded man who could easily have just arrived after a year living in the Yukon. So why do you want to work in a bookstore, Sal asks him, deciding on a question that really could have no wrong answer. I don't like people very much, the bearded giant replies, but I do like to eat, as you can see. This requires that I have a job, and unfortunately most jobs involve being around people. I don't think the Kindle or Amazon will ever completely wipe out bookstores or real books, but they'll diminish enough that working here, I should only have to deal with a handful of people a day. Most of those will either be tech ignorant or tech hostile, and probably not very talkative or outgoing. So I can just sit around and get paid to read and ring up the occasional purchase from a quiet recluse. Everybody wins. Sal and Camden both stare at him, speechless. Camden places his application in the no pile, along with everyone else they've interviewed today. The clock is at 4 p.m. How many more do we have, she asks. Just one. I told you this was going to be a beating. Bring her in and let's get it over with. Camden leaves the break room to get the last applicant while Sal wearily examines the woman's application. She returns with Heather Morrison, a girl of 19 or 20 with multiple piercings and even more tattoos. The girl slumps down in the chair. Sal decides to get this over with quickly so he can start drinking this miserable day away. If a woman came in and asked you for a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, what would you tell her? I'd tell her she should read Madame Bovary instead, Heather replies. It leaves more to the imagination, and it wasn't written by an illiterate hack. Sal smiles. Camden looks up from Heather's application. I might also recommend Dan Brown, Heather continues, though the customer would likely have read all his books already. He's amazing. Sal's smile quickly fades, and Camden shakes her head sadly. Heather starts to laugh. Just messing with you, she said. I wouldn't even wrap dead fish in pages from a Dan Brown novel. It's disrespectful to the fish. Sal and Camden are both laughing now. They seem relaxed for the first time in hours. One last question, Sal says. What novel is Hemingway best known for? All of them, Heather immediately replies. Hemingway was a genius. After struggling valiantly, all his characters die. Alone. In the rain. Which is kind of cool. Sal and Camden look at each other, then at Heather, then back at each other. They nod and reply in unison. You're hired. Awesome, she says. No more working at Target for me. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sal braces himself for another Ithaca-related query. Camden's apparently expecting the same and relishing Sal's discomfort. Certainly, Cam says. We're just one big dysfunctional family here. 
I imagine you've had a lot of girls from TCU apply, Heather says. It's more of a statement than a question. Actually, yes, Sal replies, more than I expected. I thought there'd be more stay-at-home moms who were well tired of staying at home. How many of them offered to have sex with you to get the job, she asks. The students, not the moms. Well, maybe the moms too. It's definitely a question. There were a few offers of favors would be the word, I guess, Sal answers. Favors, she repeats. So they mainly offered blowjobs. She smiles wickedly when she says this. Right, Sal says. Camden is not enjoying the direction this is going, but Sal clearly is. Hire any of them? No, Camden says firmly. Is there a reason you're asking about this? Just curious about my competition, she says. If those little rich girls ever had to work at Target during the holidays, they might have offered to do more. You're not saying, Sal replies, and I cannot believe I'm asking this. You're not saying you would have made the same offer. Would you have accepted if I had? Absolutely not. I figured that, Heather says with a nod. That's why I'll take the job. Strong ethical standards, I see, Camden says a little sarcastically. Something like that. And just out of curiosity, she says, turning directly to Sal again, are you as strict about non-fraternization with employees as with applicants? I'm not sure, he says. I've never had employees before. Maybe, maybe not. Camden gives them both a horrified look. So you're not a pig, Heather says. And you're not a Puritan. I like that in a boss. And in a man. She licks her lips, then stands and shakes their hands. So I start tomorrow, right? Tomorrow will be fine, Camden says. Glad the conversation is over. But it isn't. Cool, she says, and then turns, turns to leave. Her hand is already on the doorknob when she stops and turns back to Sal. Just so you know, she says, I'm not the kind of girl who would offer oral sex just to get a job. I didn't think you were, he replies. But if we were ever to end up in the fiction section alone on a rainy night and you happen to be reading aloud from a farewell to arms, well, consider yourself forewarned. When she's gone, Sal turns to Camden, who's still too stunned to speak. I said it before, he says, and I'll say it again. I think I'm going to like it here. No doubt about it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Angry Typewriter. I hope it's been both informative and entertaining, especially for you writers out there. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'd also consider clicking on the support this podcast link on the Anchor site. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep these episodes coming, and it will also go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.